Hello and welcome to Anything That Moves, a Manif mobility podcast about the future of people and goods getting around faster, cheaper, safer, and cleaner. I'm your host, Mayor Dardashti. Before we get started, the team at Manif wants to hear from you. If you have feedback or if you are the founder of a company in the mobility space, please reach out to us via the form on our website, www.maniv.com. That's M-A-N-I-V.com and click contact us. So before we release the actual podcast, I, I have to acknowledge that we can't release a podcast about EV battery chemistry without taking a moment to acknowledge Professor John B. Goodenough, who passed away at age 100 just recently on June 25th. Goodenough was among the pioneers of lithium-ion batteries, uh, a breakthrough for which he won the Nobel Prize, and was already hard at work on the next battery breakthrough, solid-state batteries, well into his advanced years. We've long actually had a meeting room here at Money of Headquarters named after Professor Goodenough and have to acknowledge the happy coincidence of releasing this podcast about battery chemistries as an unintended tribute to his contributions. We didn't know he was going to pass when we recorded, but without Professor Goodenough, electric mobility would not have been feasible. You'll also have to forgive uh, Steve and myself for geeking out quite a bit over the course of this podcast. So we want to provide a little bit of a primer on some of the main lingo and terminology that we go through. We mentioned three different battery chemistries in the podcast, LFP, NMC, and NCA. LFP is lithium iron phosphate. It is a lower density, cheaper chemistry than the main alternatives. In theory, it's shorter range for the same weight, but much safer and less likely to blow up. NMC, or lithium manganese cobalt, is the most common chemistry in today's vehicles, high energy density, pretty long life cycle, and a good deal more expensive than LFP, with you know some risk of explosion every now and then. And the last chemistry that we talk about is NCA, which is nickel cobalt aluminum, the most common chemistry in Tesla's higher end models. It's more expensive than LFP. The batteries are fairly similar to NMC packs uh, with a little bit of a better lifespan, although it's a bit more expensive. Otherwise, we're going to include a reference in the show notes and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Steve Levine of The Electric and also of many other hats past and present. So I'll let you introduce yourself, but I will say longtime listener, first time caller. Really excited to speak to you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Meyer. Yes, I'm editor of The Electric, which is a publication on batteries and electric vehicles. It's owned by the information out of San Francisco. And for these purposes, I'm the author of The Powerhouse, which is a book on the birth of NMC, the main battery chemistry in electric vehicles. So I want to say that you have the distinct advantage or disadvantage of having what you think and what you've learned written in a permanent record. So I want to come back to an op-ed that I loved that you wrote in November 21 about the race with China over EV support and over access to resources to build out EVs. And you ended with quite a dramatic ending. I think well-deserved. For the United States, the best hope is to get a grip on its own supply chain. The message for policymakers and automakers alike, it's time to get moving. So it's been a year and a bit since then. How do you think that's aged? Do you think that automakers and policymakers have sufficiently gotten moving? Or do you think that the same fundamental challenges that existed a year, two years, five years ago still fundamentally persist? This is a good question. I've been completely surprised by what's happened in that space of time. 
the U.S. has gotten moving. Its response, the Biden administration's response, Congress's response, specifically Joe Manchin, Senator Manchin, has put the U.S. on the map. And it's all in execution. We'll see what happens from here. But the fundamental law, the amount of money that has been allotted to the U.S. building battery industry from scratch, the people who have been put in charge of spending that money, very impressive. And I have looked through history, U.S. history. There is not an analogy of the U.S. taking on an industry as it has decided to take on EVs, batteries, and chips, by the way. Right? So the U.S. is attempting to put itself back on the map technologically and as a manufacturing power. So that's a whole other topic for a whole other podcast, but that is what's happened. Very impressive. I'm less impressed with how industry has gone. I think U.S. and European industries continue to not go fast enough, and they are being outdone by two players, by the Chinese players and Tesla. Tesla, I think, also needs to step up its game. It needs to have more models, more types of models, that there's boredom with the Model 3, with the Model Y. And so it does need to step up its game. But GM, Ford, Volkswagen, BMW, and so on, boring, a lot of money, slow. Look at their sales, right? They're not producing models that people want to buy. You say this, but the trucks are coming. The, the F-150 Lightning's already doing fairly well. The Silverado's coming. Those are the high-volume models, and they're on their way. Um, yeah, so there are exceptions. So yes, the F-150 Lightning, which I think, by the way, it, it has done well. People want to buy it. Jim Farley took an F-150 and stuck a battery in it, right? And so is that really going to take Ford into the future? It's one single model. It's the same thing with the Mach-E Mustang, took a Mustang, put a battery in it. By the way, I admire that strategy. It's a different strategy from GM saying, hey, we want to get started. Let's take our two most exciting models. Let's put a battery in them and let's get going. That's arguably you know, very clever, whereas GM is really waiting until 2025, basically, until it, it unveils its big strategy. Let's see. So with exceptions, right, the Western car makers have some room to catch up. How confident are you that this is a solvable problem in the sense that the control over resources or control over the EV supply chain, it runs deep. China controls the supply chain all the way down to the raw minerals. The Inflation Reduction Act and other legislation has mandated that U.S. EV sellers or manufacturers basically cut out Chinese dependency. There isn't really a clear alternative. How confident are you that this is a fundamentally solvable problem? Or is China just so ingrained that it can't be kicked out of the supply chain? China's not going to be kicked out of the supply chain. So first, let's start with what you've said. That's the base case. That's exactly where we are. China has locked up the supplies from South America, Africa, Australia, Indonesia, and its processing 
industries too have locked up the CAM metals and the pre-CAM precursors and all that, cathodes, all the anodes, and it's positioning itself to keep doing that through the decade and into the 2030s. But what the U.S. can do and what Europe can do is set themselves, set their own industries up, not try to kick China out of the world or try to kill China, but make Ford, GM, Volkswagen, and, and so on. And not necessarily, they're not going to be completely self-reliant. They're definitely not going to be self-reliant this decade, but they can have a balanced supply. Uh, just moving that forward a little bit. The U.S. and Europe are taking completely different paths this way. Europe has invited the Chinese to make their batteries, to make their cathodes and so on. And the U.S. is, um, so far at least, trying to keep the Chinese out and trying to get the South Koreans as the substitute. Ford and Tesla are resisting. They would love to have CATL here. They would love to have BYD in the United States. Let's see where that goes. So uh, first of all, I want to say Israel is a fascinating use case here. It's a fascinating case study because we're in between. We face the U.S. in most of our markets, but we are actually the most European of the European markets because China realized they actually like testing out vehicles here to see if they can bring them to Germany. Story for another day. Come visit. I'll show you some interesting Chinese EVs. I want to, again, you have the distinct misfortune of being quoted, of being quotable, going on the record. You wrote in May 2021 about vehicle-to-grid integration, V2G, where you wrote about a really cool profile about Nuve and its founder and about the kind of inevitability of vehicles not only drawing from the grid, but also giving back to the grid as electric vehicles. There's a split screen since you wrote that piece. On the one hand, Nuve stock is down by 80% and kind of the inevitability of maybe Nuve specifically succeeding, not guaranteed. On the other hand, you're seeing a lot of mainstream producers with maybe the exception of Tesla that are adopting this idea that the vehicle should be feeding energy back into other applications, whether or not they can connect to the grid is a grid operator's problem. Where do you stand on this? Are you fundamentally bullish about V2G or do you see it as a beautiful engineering solution to a terrible, terrible societal setup to be able to actually integrate these into the grid in the medium term? Yeah. Meyer, I want to, I've not looked at that story since I wrote that. So that's over two years, if that's right, May, 2021. So Vehicle to grid. I'll just say what I think of, about it. Did I say inevitable in that story? Because no, I don't call think... my bluff. You didn't say inevitable. Objection is fair. It's sustained. <laughs> All right. Because what I think I wrote and what I intended to write, what I think now is that it's logical. It, it makes so it, much sense. Yeah. And all the arguments about it. And so what you said about engineering solutions, scientists, entrepreneurs, researchers, and so on, love technologies that sound cool and also love to make, whether they are cool or not, love to make technologies sound cool. And so I'm on guard because of that, right? This is an elegant solution, but we don't know about human psychology, right? Will people really be open to plugging their car in 
everywhere they go. That's basically what you have to do. And so, so that's one thing. We want to go about our business and not be tied down to things. We're not, most of us are not responsible 24 hours a day. This is why I also, I'm skeptical about the charging at home model, because at least with combustion, people routinely let their cars, the tank go down almost to zero. Oh, shoot. The car's almost empty. I got to go fill it up right in the morning. Right. But it only takes two or three minutes. The charge from home model presupposes that people are going to remember at night to plug their car in. And I'm not convinced that most people will. And what we have are we have first movers who plug their car in. That's not the ordinary person. So with vehicle to grid, there needs to be time, right? For people's conscious, what they think about how they go about it, that can change. So people can plug in their car. But what really changes, what really helps to change this calculus is the million mile battery. So you're not worried that you're ruining your battery, the resale value of your car, because no one is going to drive their car for 75 years, which is what a million mile battery is. You've got basically effectively endless char, endless life on that battery. You're going to earn money back by plugging your car in. So you might plug your car in. It's interesting. I would not have expected that objection, although I agree. I have no idea why consumers do anything they do. Most of them buy their Eve because it's yellow or because it's red, not because it has specific features. I have no idea why people buy things. But all these OEMs are selling battery packs with eight-year warranties. Warranties, I don't know if they can stand behind, but really long compared to what you might have come in expecting. Is there really that much of a difference between an eight-year, 200,000-mile warranty and a battery that claims to have a million miles in it? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with what you just said, that people buy a car based on that it looks cool or they like, or they like the seats or they want to boast to their neighbor. Or this is, generally speaking, this is why, for example, the Volkswagen ID series cars have not taken off. They're terrible looking. They're not sexy. No one wants these cars. And there needs to be something done there. I've written about that too. But you're just not, you are not going to plug in your battery if you feel it's going to ruin the battery. I just don't think that people will do that. So they do need to think that it won't matter. Do you feel differently about fleet applications? If there's a school bus fleet or even a taxi fleet that plugs in at night or even corporate cars, do you feel like that boundary is otherwise reduced towards a world where people are plugging their cars and giving back to the grid? Yeah, maybe it's different if you're a commercial operator who's turning over your fleet with some frequency and your economics rely on how much fuel you're using. And you can change your whole business by adopting this solution. That could be different, but then you get to the, okay, what about end of life? Is the vehicle, what happens to the vehicle when it gets to end to life? What happens to my economics? What happens to my economics then? Okay. So I think we're going to transition now to professional therapy because whether it's reading articles in TechCrunch or seeing pitch decks or talking to entrepreneurs, I feel like twice a week, 
I see a startup, whatever the underlying chemistry is, it's offering me the same X percent improvement in performance, Y improvement in life cycle at Z discount at scale, of course, on price. And yet you actually look at what batteries have moved. And basically the book you wrote on NMC is still, NMC still prevails. Maybe LFP comes in, but these revolutionary batteries for the most part are, are delayed indefinitely. They're five years away consistently. And every year LG puts out a battery that's one and a half time, one and a half percent better. And the industry accepts it with open arms. You've seen more of these companies than I've seen. You've profiled more of these companies than I've seen. How do you separate the wheat from the chaff? And how do you understand the dynamics of an industry where it's just one long hype machine and then nothing happens? Yeah, yeah. I think the way you've set this up is very healthy. The incumbent technologies have a long life. New, whether it's in batteries or whatever, even when a new technology comes in and it's adopted commercially, they coexist with the old technology for a very long time. That is what is going to happen. What is happening, what's going to happen with batteries. So this decade is NMC, NCA, LFP. And LFP being the oldest of the EV technologies and not the Zippy one, right? It's not the NMC. It's a workhorse technology, less energy density, but with longer life and with fewer bottlenecks. And so this decade is the old technologies. And I would say that most of the 2030s too, lithium is not going away. There's not the talk, okay, what's the thing after lithium? Lithium is the thing after lithium. And so not in our working lifetimes, sodium can come in as something for stationary storage, but even that, it's not clear that's going to happen. And so what about the technologies that are discussed? Solid state, silicon, lithium metal. Okay. Lithium metal is lithium. And this is something that can come in as an anode, perhaps at very small niche scale in the second half of the decade and larger scale in the 2030s. But what are you going to twin it with, right? What are you going to twin that lithium metal anode with? And what makes the most sense? And LFP basically makes the most sense. So you take the very cheapest cathode, the most expensive anode, you twin them, you get a very good driving distance, over 300 miles on a charge. You get fast charge. You get long life because you've got LFP, super long life. That's a very good battery in the 2030s. About silicon, it will come in first of the next gen, but first means, again, it means niche use in the second half of the decade and larger use in the 2030s, but not at large volume. So it's not going to be, we're not going to have 100% silicon batteries. They're going to be 20, 30, right now it's 7%. You're going to get 20, 30, and 40%. And the reason that there are physics problems with using a lot of lithium in the anode. And so this is not something that's discussed, but that's the truth. And so 
But your original question, how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? I start out with a presumption that I think is a fact. And that's that when we're talking about next generation chemistries, we're talking about the next decade or the decade after that. We're not talking about this one. And so any, anything that's under discussion, let's say QuantumScape or Anovix or any of the next generation companies, if you're investing now, you're talking about your revenue coming, your cash flow in the next decade. So is your intention that you don't care what happens for the next seven years with your investment and really your fundamental upside? It's going to be jumpy like this because it's all speculation. And then, you know, your fundamental return will be in the next decade. If you're happy with that, then invest in these companies. I mean, it feels like drug discovery with none of the regulatory lock-in. <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong here. <laughs> anyway, if you are starting a battery chemistry company, you should still talk to us. <laughs> but do any of these dynamics change how you think about um, not just what technology wins, but what kind of company wins? Or do those kinds of dynamics favor incumbents? Even though they're disrupting their own technologies, it's very hard for incumbents to disrupt themselves. Those are kind of corporate project or infrastructure level investments or infrastructure pace investments. Those are really hard to fit into venture timelines. Again, if you have a company, speak to us. Those are really hard to jam into enterprise SaaS timelines. Does that affect the kinds of winners that you anticipate in this field? It does. It does. So it means that you have to be deep pocketed. So this means you have to have cash on hand. We didn't get to this, but we can talk about this. A lot of players, EV and battery players are going to go belly up this decade and not because they don't have a great product, but because they don't have the cash. Look again at QuantumScape. Like I believe in those guys. I think that they're a good team. They have a good product, a good product. I know there's a lot of, there are a lot of naysayers out there and they could be less secretive than they are. But then you have to ask, do they have seven years of cash runway? That's a big question, right? Before the haters come in, I want to remind you, a lot of internal combustion companies are going to go belly up this decade too. This is a really dangerous time to be an internal combustion company as well. It is. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. Someone in an interview I conducted last week, we were talking about the EV makers and then the companies that are attempting to get into that, meaning the OEMs. And the person said, I don't know that GM and Ford are going to exist in the next decade. And that, that's not a glib remark. Like, I think that's true. Yeah. Every time I see a startup that's selling to like struggling third tier ICE OEMs, I have to remind them gently that struggling third tier ICE OEMs might not be good customers because they might not be customers in five years. Yeah. You just described Ford and GM who are not struggling third tier ICE OEMs. Yeah. Look at BYD. Only two companies are super succeeding in EVs, BYD and Tesla. Everyone else is way back in the pack and it's about making exciting cars. That's one thing. And the other thing is having some semblance of an integrated supply chain when the others should try to emulate that. You remember that podcast that Elon did 
less than a year ago with the Silicon Valley Owners Association or something like that. Owner Tesla owners of Silicon Valley. And he said in the in this podcast, Rivian and Lucid, great vehicles, they need to cut their spending drastically or they're going to go bankrupt. Look at them now. Yeah. Listen, say what you want about him. Ends up the guy's pretty pretty good at making EVs. <laughs> no, no, Meyer, it's production hell, right? He, it's like everyone thought that they were immune from that. They didn't think it privately, but pu- publicly they thought so. But they're all going, going through it. And remember, Tesla also almost went bankrupt. So I think Mike remembers those days well because he was competing for some of the same grants. <laughs> Can I ask you about end of life though? Sure. We're putting a lot of EVs on the road. I think the Wall Street Journal just covered a couple of weeks ago that I think we reached 10% EV sales in the US among new vehicles, which is cool. OEMs are theoretically responsible for end of life. I feel like I have a contractual obligation to note that there is no commercially viable end of life solution for these batteries right now. It seems like in two broad buckets, you can melt them or you can take them apart and put them back together. Neither of them really make economic sense. First of all, there's no value in making this a binary question, but there's no other way to ask it. Is this a reasonably solvable problem? Is this something that both the OEMs and people are incentivized and capable of figuring out? What do you do with millions and millions of lithium ion batteries in five, 10 years? Yeah. So let's make this a two-way here. Have you guys said what you just said? Have you said that to JB? Straw Bell. Not personally. I'm sure that he would tell me that he has something commercially viable. And it's my job to decide whether or not I think that's reasonable or not. But I don't know the answer. Yeah. So I also am a great skeptic of the economics. And I think that the way the recyclers project themselves looks like hype, looks like P.T. Barnum. So it's sort of like walk like a duck, talk like a duck, maybe it is a duck. And so I do think there is a fundamental problem with the recycling calculus, and that's that there's going to be a long runway until there is critical mass of those batteries. So a couple of things that I hear that make sense. One of them is that it makes sense for the automakers to keep ownership of the battery so that a model where GM, let's say, incentivizes their customers to sell their battery back to GM at the end of life. And then GM keeps ownership of the metals. And you can imagine, I don't have to go through all of them, but you can see how that solves a lot of these supply chain and geopolitical issues. So that makes sense to me. It makes sense in a million mile battery world. Now, GM claims that it's Ultium battery is a million mile battery. That's what it says. And it is true that NMC batteries have lasted a lot longer, are lasting a lot longer than people expected. A lot longer, like twice as long. So I do think some solution will be reached. Maybe it won't be that you have a standalone business that merits a huge valuation. That's a second life business. But uh, perhaps it can be part of an integrated, a vertical integration 
that makes an auto company or a battery company work better. So putting venture backability or scalability or what shows up at TechCrunch aside, do you think it's more likely, and I know this is not binary, but do you imagine a world where after 15 years of use, the Tesla battery goes into the melter or that it gets torn down, taken apart and reassembled into stationary storage? Do you think that, and maybe the answer is different for different chemistries, maybe it's different for different brands, but I think there's an implied vision from the Redwood materials of the world that vehicles go back, basically the batteries go back into the melter and they turn into new batteries. We've seen startups that are proposing, no, they get disassembled, usually manually, and then reassembled into stationary storage batteries or other uses because there are a lot of uses for a battery that are less stressful than being an EV. A lot of good retirements for lithium. But do you see a world where one of those scenarios is more likely, acknowledging that it's not going to be 100% this or 100% that? Yeah, yeah. It seems to me, just instinctively to me, the melting down solution seems less likely because the cost, the added cost of doing that. And I know that the recyclers claim that they just melt it down and somehow the black mass that this is, Uh, So I don't understand. I don't see how you can mix aluminum and lithium together and this ends up being okay. So those who argue for secondary use of the batteries in some form, that makes more sense to me, but that'll work itself out. But I'll tell you, like, I think that I apologize if your main bet is if Maniv's main bet is in recycling, but I think it's crazy. It is crazy to invest in a recycling company. So I'll play my hand. We don't have that in the other space. <laughs> I can't claim that we're so good, so smart that we purposely avoid recycling. But when we went to look at refurbishment, what scared us was that when you actually work out the unit economics, they're producing cells that aren't packs that aren't cheaper than new lithium. And because of just the manual cost, especially at scale, especially with different types of packs, and as the sources become more diverse, the manual cost of assembly and disassembly, you end up with packs that aren't that much cheaper or are more expensive than new. And so that leaves this whole industry in a little bit of limbo. Yeah, but what happens... All right, I could imagine an engineering workaround there, but what happens when the price... uh, of these metals goes up, is the same model, does the same model hold? So I love the question because it's a really interesting assumption behind it. We have always assumed that the price of these metals always will go down. And lithium have always forecast a downward trend. And we haven't had a downward trend the last two years, but nothing's had a downward trend the last two years. Are you, can I turn the question back on you? How confident or How uncertain are you that these commodities will continue to fall? Because I remind you that at one point, people thought that all the oil in the world was in northeastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. So the history of commodity pricing is that commodity prices drop and they do so steadily. And sometimes they plummet with spikes. But so we've got two questions on the table is will the price of lithium, graphite, nickel, and so on, will they continue to go up or Will they drop with changes? I don't see why they wouldn't follow the history of commodities and eventually drop. That's one question. 
That's the answer to one question. But if we're talking about the 2020s, they're going to keep going up. We are in a decade of shortage and not just a little bit of shortage, stark shortage of specifically of nickel and of lithium. And so huge apologies to my friends at Goldman Sachs. They're wrong. It's very, very strange, their forecast. So we have a shortage this year, and we will continue to have a growing shortage through the end of the decade. But after that, absolutely, you could see prices moderating mines. The supply will come online, and it'll be just like oil and so on. So I guess you answered my question. Yeah, you're right. If new lithium gets more and more expensive, then new batteries get more expensive and the economic attractiveness of a pack with 80% life left, um, that is 110% of its original price, but 80% of the going rate of new lithium is more attractive relatively. But I'd argue that the same is true also if you were to melt it down. Again, assuming the process fundamentally works and is not bad science, which I haven't diligenced and I don't know if you've diligenced. Yeah. Uh, the same should be true of either method. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I yeah, I don't know that I have a favorite horse in that race, but I do note. I just read this morning, CATL has just in committed itself to spending another three and a half billion dollars to double its recycling capacity. So there is smart money going into this. So they're trying to capture the existing supply. And that could be where the economics are, right? Where you're a, you are a battery company, you are an auto company. And for your economics, your internal economics, it makes sense for you to recycle, but not as a standalone business. Yeah. So I guess our takeaway is it's complicated and the big guys are probably going to win. This decade is like my takeaway. This decade is decided. And so it's, yeah, look so, at- you know, If it's decided, let's end with your predictions, your certainties for 2020s, and then we can leave the 2030s for a couple of years from now. What is decided for the 2020s? What is already written in stone? And I think we'll have to end with that because I, yeah. I think I, we, okay. we both promised that. Uh, uh, written in stone, NMC, NCA, LFP. And LFP ends up being the biggest winner because of the bottlenecks. And Tesla- and BYD are the big winners. Lucid and Rivian in big trouble. And the Japanese, the Japanese are in big trouble in the 2020s. So you heard it first here. If you're on the Goldman Sachs commodities team, I'm sorry about the year-end bonus you're not about to get. And uh, Steve, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insights. It's great to talk to you. Thanks, Meyer. Thank you to producer Naomi Lazarov for making this episode happen. If you liked her work and are willing to put up with mine, please rate and subscribe to Anything That Moves wherever you find your podcasts. Once again, for feedback or to reach out for investment, please go to Maneve.com and click Contact Us. You can also find us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Maneve Mobility. Thanks for listening.